Hello boys and girls. Welcome back to Coast Access Radio Storytime. Today we finish reading The Ghost House by Bill Nagelkirk. Quite a lot happens in these last few chapters, so keep your listening ears on. Chapter 28 Whatever direction their conversation takes after that, David doesn't hear another word. She lived here, and she was going to die here, and that's what she did. He's amazed, astounded, befuddled, baffled. Was Agnes right? Had he been completely useless at putting two and two together? Or, deep down, did he already know? The truth is, he probably knew by the time he left the river, perhaps even as early on as his conversation with Ed, but he hasn't got round to letting himself believe it yet. Who could believe such a thing? David is still sitting in the darkness of the cupboard when he hears her voice. You can come out now, no nothing boy. David, they've gone. He knows it's safe to emerge, but does he want to? After the conclusion he's arrived at, maybe not. On the other hand, he can't stay here forever. Cobwebbed and dust-draped, he emerges from his hidey hole. He's encountered no mice or rats, no tarantulas, no zombies either. Not even a terrifying Baskervillian hound. What he's just learned has put all those frighteners to shame. Except, if he's being honest, he isn't frightened. Not at all. Somehow, he doesn't think he's going to be frightened of anything ever again. So, David, said Agnes, at last. The truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's what you wanted to hear, wasn't it? That's what you've got. Not one quarter of the story, not one half of it, all of it. You're dead, according to what your grandson said. There, out in the open at last. No flies on you any more, says Agnes dryly. Not even in the remnants of that spider's web plastered to your shoulder. And as he's my grandson, I reckon he knows his onions. You're a ghost. Your word, not mine. Well, what else, if not that? I prefer, says Agnes, to think of myself as an extension of my house. She chuckles, along the lines of one of those conservatories people like adding to buildings. An attachment. I was born here and I've lived all my life here. Don't you think it was perfectly reasonable for me to want to stay on? Even though the quakes were too much for me, my house remained standing. And so I decided I wasn't going anywhere either. Not until it did, anyway. It's not possible, says David. Agnes shrugs and says with a smile, If you say so, what's the use in arguing with a boy who so self-evidently knows nothing, not even what's right under his nose? No one else can see you, so why can I? Are you sure you can? says Agnes, gently sarcastic again. Are you sure that I'm not an impossible figment of your young and overstimulated imagination? I've been sick, David said. That's why this is happening, isn't it? You mean we can communicate because you've been sick or you're imagining you can see me for the same reason? David puts his hands over his head. I don't know. I don't know. You're more correct than I'm giving you credit for, Agnes says. I'm guessing that you and I are what they call simpatico. That means we understand one another. We've both suffered. 
and at different times we've both been close. Me, on a number of occasions, you may be the same. David nods, not trusting in any words. After the earthquakes, I finally met my match. Let's face it, you can't outrun the angel of death forever, can you? But life and death are both mysterious, so what do I know? Who really knows anything? You certainly don't. I don't think I do either. But knowing or not knowing, we must deal with things as they are. So, that's it. Story spun, tale told. For goodness sake, David, go home. Go home now and don't come back. I wasn't planning to come back after today, David admits. But if your house has moved, will that be any better for you than if it's bowled over? Agnes gives a characteristic shrug. Uncharacteristically, she reaches towards David with her hand as if intending to brush the cobweb from his shoulder. However, she pulls back before David gets a chance to find out what the touch of ghost feels like. He suspects it's something he'll wonder about for the rest of his life. I don't imagine I'll be staying on in either case, she says. Whatever happens, I'm unlikely to have a say in the matter. Not sure that I'd want to have a say. The house and I, not to mention the land we're tethered to, have been in happy thrall to one another in roughly equal measure. I suspect we've survived intact because of our shared memories. When one of us goes, who knows what will happen to the other? But I'm guessing I'll be gone for good. Are you scared not knowing? Agnes laughs. Scared of not knowing? No, I'll leave that for you to be scared of. It'll be an incentive for you to learn as much as you can. As I said, it's how things are. I'll feel a little sad to leave, maybe. Yes, sad. But the house, if it survives, will have new inhabitants and they'll build their own memories on it. She pauses a moment, looking into the distance, perhaps taking stock of her memories. She shared some of those with David. They're his as well now. The idea pleases him. As for the land, says Agnes, it'll continue with or without me, with or without anyone at all, if it comes to that. I mean, that's what it's been doing forever and a day. But I think that people will walk here again and laugh and play. And the river, well, the river too, will carry on living and moving and being, people or no people. I'm sure you've seen and understood that for yourself. David nods, I guess. He says, I guess, says Agnes, whatever does that mean? Understanding is everything. A warning, though, it's the same one I gave to my boys, my son and grandson both, so take note. The more you end up knowing, the less you truly understand. Are you sure about that? David asks. Shouldn't it be more, not less? Agnes cackles with delight. That, my boy, just proves you still have a very long way to go. David smiles back at Agnes. I hope I do, he says. Chapter 30 There's a familiar voice at the villa's front door. Hello! It's Ed the beekeeper, I bet, says David. But Agnes has slipped into the shadows again, become a shadow herself. She's gone. David wonders if he'll see her again. 
No, he doesn't wonder that. He knows he won't. Coming, he calls down the hallway. Both Ed and Mandy are standing in the doorway, their hair dishevelled, leaves and twigs coating their clothes. Boy, it was so tricky getting through, Mandy says. What an amazing place this is. I never even knew it existed. I'm sure the tree barriers grown thicker overnight, says Ed. No sign of your Agnes yesterday, so I thought I'd try again today. We finished our beekeeping duties. We heard you talking, so I assume she's here? No, she isn't, David says. I mean, she was, but she's gone. Sorry, it's been a waste of time for you. That's okay, says Ed. But I could have sworn I heard. Where's she gone? She just slipped away. One second she was there, the next she wasn't. Probably heard you coming. She can move quickly when she wants to. Through the barrier, says Ed, disbelievingly. I guess she must have her own secret way, says David. She really doesn't like seeing people, he adds quickly, or talking to them. Strangers, you know. But is she all right? She can't carry on living here, if that's what she's been doing. This house won't be here forever. Yes, David says, she knows that. There must be something I can do for her. You're very kind, but no, there isn't. Really and truly, Agnes is perfectly okay. She'll sort things out her own way. Actually, I'm pretty sure she's not planning to come back any time soon. She said that. Not exactly, but that's what she meant. Ed looks over David's shoulder into the hallway. He sees nothing of Agnes. hears nothing of her. Neither he nor Mandy notice the sign written in the dust. Oh, well, I'm sorry if we scared her off, says Ed, but I guess I can come back to check up on her another time in case she's changed her mind. I'll be passing by regularly to see to the bees. You're covered in dust and cobwebs, Mandy says. You haven't been playing hide-and-seek with your Agnes friend, have you? David smiles more to himself than to the beekeepers. If she wanted to hide, he says, I don't think anyone would be able to find her. Not in a million years. Actually, when I think about it, you're the one who's looking a bit lost, says Mandy. He may well look that way to Mandy, and maybe to Ed too. But David doesn't feel in the slightest bit lost. For the first time in ages, he knows exactly where he is, and where he wants to go. I'll be off home in a minute, he tells them. Thanks again for stopping. We're buzzing off as well, says Mandy. Cheerio then, says Ed. Bye. Ed and Mandy edge their way through the ring of trees. As David goes to follow them, he again hears the background drone of the bees, smells the sweet pollen scents on the sea breeze, feels the burn of summer air. The ghost house watches him depart, its lead-like windows blinking sleepily in the sun. The dust David has disturbed once more begins to settle. The words David wrote slowly disappear from sight. When he reaches the space where the community garden will soon be flourishing, David pauses. 
He checks to see if the spade he tucked away for safekeeping is still there, or if maybe Molly and George have since retrieved it. He sees it lying exactly where he left it. On impulse, David steps over the rope, crosses the cleared land, draws out the spade, and waves it above his head. Then, smiling to himself, he digs into the remaining bits of turf, slicing them away to expose the soil beneath, before tossing the greenery onto the pile that Molly has already created. There, it's done. The last bit of turf excavated from the rectangular patch that will become the community garden. David flexes his biceps. Hmm, looking good, he thinks. Feeling good, too. He lays the spade back in place. Nearly home, and by some miracle of chance, David finds the grave marker he kicked away, an action of his that seems an eternity ago. He can't believe his eyes when he looks down to see what it is he's trodden on. How is something like that even possible? Chapter 31 Amber isn't entirely happy, but she agrees to keep David's forays to the house in the red zone a secret. Mum and Dad will never find out about them. Not much longer and you won't have to babysit me any more, David tells his sister. It's not the sitting I mind so much as the baby, says Amber, but without malice. David remembers to thank her for the poem she gave him in hospital. It's a bit heavy going now, he says, but at the time it was just what I needed. I'll keep it forever. What a load of mush, says Amber, trying but not at all succeeding to disguise her delight. I had a call from our writing tutor, she says. Two of my poems are going to be published. In a book? Yeah, in a book. That's awesome, says David. I'm stoked for you. Really, I am. I know, says Amber. Anyway, I've just had an idea. Get out into the backyard. I'll join you in a sec. What on earth for? Just do it. Okay, if you say so. I do. A minute later, the back door opens and Amber appears. What? David begins, but his sister doesn't give him the chance to finish his sentence. Catch, she says. He catches it, his cricket ball, which Amber's retrieved from his room together with his bat and his stumps. She sticks them in the ground, lays the bales carefully on top. Come on, Davy boy, she says, thumping the grass with the bat. Let's see if you're still any good at this game. David finally gets a clean bill of health. He hopes it will be the first of many. Of course, there are never any guarantees, but his future looks bright, like the red zone itself. Agnes may be proved right. There are plans to make the red zone a place where people will come to walk and laugh and festival again. Native trees are going to be planted. A group of weavers start to grow flax. More community gardens are planned. Molly and George have really started something, David thinks. The zone keeps being mown, but the river banks are left unkempt. It's better that way for the spawning of whitebait. There's hope that the famous whitebait catch will grow and grow in years to come. In February, David goes back to school, but he visits the river as often as he can. 
Eventually, he's allowed to join a junior rowing club. At first, the exercise nearly kills him, but he survives. He survived far worse things. He loves the feeling of getting stronger. He even goes with Mum one day to help out Molly and George. They welcome them with open arms. Then, on another day, he sees James and Ros after rowing practice. They're loading their distinctive orange kayak onto their SUV. He runs over to them before they have the chance to drive away and before he chickens out. Ever since their first encounter, whenever he's gone to the river, David has carried Dulo's memorial marker in his day pack in case he gets a chance to give it back. Hey man, great to see you, says James. What's up? David unzips his pack. He reaches inside. Look what I found, he says to Ros, handing over the marker. I've been hoping to see you guys again. It takes her at least 30 seconds to work out what it is he's giving her. And when she finally does, she's so over the moon with the piece of wood, funny spellings and all, that she looks as if she'd like to throw her arms round David and hug him nearly breathless. This is just so cool, she says. Thanks a million, David. He feels he should admit that the first time he saw it, he kicked it away, but he doesn't. It's definitely not the right moment. What will you do with it now, he asks. Find Dulo's grave where the marker belongs? No, way too late for that now, she says. I'll take it home. Choose a spot for it there. It's just so nice to have it again. It's my link with this place. I thought I was the link, James says in mock anguish. Then the marker was the missing link, David says, pleased when they laugh at his joke. David is in luck when it comes to asking them about the possibility of learning to kayak. As it turns out, James, like Ros, is a teacher, but in the classroom of the outdoors. He gives David the details of where and when kayak training happens. David can't wait to begin. Chapter 32 even though David doesn't return to the villa, somehow he's expecting to see it taken away from the red zone, either in one piece or in pieces. But it doesn't happen that way. School and rowing and the kayak training take over. The next time he's on a ramble through the red zone, it's with his family at last. They walk in a different direction from the one that he's been used to taking. It's disorientating. David looks out for the circle of trees to point it out from a distance to Amber, but he can't locate it. She pulls on David's arm. Slow down a bit, she says. Let them get ahead. They won't notice. Won't do them any harm either to be on their own together for a sec. What is it? I hate to ask this, she says hesitantly, but are you sure you didn't imagine the house and the trees and Agnes? Hmm... It's hard to be sure about anything, David hedges. He's tempted to come clean to Amber that Amber's was. Well, Agnes didn't like the word ghost, but what other word is there? Telling his sister that Agnes was a house extension, an attachment, doesn't quite cut it. She'd think he was getting sick again. He hopes that he'll be able to find the right moment to tell his sister the truth about the old lady who both was and wasn't. It's something he knows he wants to share with her. For now, though, it's probably better that she believes Agnes decided it was time to move on. But no, I didn't imagine any of them, he says. Except whatever he has. 
What if Agnes was right when she suggested that she might be an impossible figment of his overstimulated imagination? What if everything he remembers about her and her house is like another one of those confused hospital dreams he'd become so used to having? David doesn't want to believe that's the case. Not long afterwards, David decides to go back to see for himself what's happened to the villa. When he gets to the right spot, it's clear why he couldn't spot the trees during the family walk. From the roughed-up state of the ground, the bits of tree root and a weatherboard left behind, even an abandoned lanyard, it's easy to work out that a circle of trees has been uprooted and carted off, while the ghost house they protected has either been demolished or trucked away intact to be restored. It feels so weird to be back on the land where the house once stood, half wondering if Agnes will turn up. Agnes, he calls, just in case. There's no answer. Would he notice if she were there, twirling round on her knitted cardigan, her long socks drooping? Of course he would. But perhaps by now Agnes herself has been in some way uplifted, restored, transformed. Perhaps? Who knows? David doesn't. But neither does he mind not knowing. It's enough that he and Agnes understood one another, even if it was for the briefest of times, and that, that they were, as she said, simpatico. Chapter 33 A year passes and summer comes round again. David scores his highest ever tally of runs. Brendan is super impressed. So is the coach. One day soon, she tells David, he'll go in as an opening batsman. An old villa has recently been relocated to an empty section close to where David's family lives. He sees it one windy day as they go for a walk in the neighbourhood. Just David and his parents... Amber, at 15, has decided she's too old for family walks, too old for family anythings. She has other things on her mind. Not only has she become a published writer, but Brendan's her boyfriend now. Given the signs, David isn't at all surprised. Mum and Dad are still a bit nervous about the whole boyfriend-girlfriend thing, but he's simply happy that Amber is happy. As long as Brendan isn't distracted from his cricket captaincy, he thinks. The emptied section has been smoothed, new strong foundations laid, and the house carefully positioned onto them. Sitting there so starkly, without its protective circle of greenery, the villa looks even more vulnerable than when David first stumbled across it. If it's the same house. Somebody's taken on a massive job, says Dad. Somebody who loves old houses, Mum says. David's parents stand and look at the villa for a while longer, gawping, as Agnes might have described it, discussing the pros and cons of doing up old houses. Their talk gives David the chance to mentally overlay this house with the one belonging to Agnes. The size and shape seem the same, while the windows in the front room offer another clue. Although David can't easily distinguish the colours of the lead lights from outside on the street, the patterns they make are familiar. The front door, with a similar round door handle, suddenly blows open. David sees eddies of dust whirling in the hallway before the wind slams the door shut again. And there's an exultant sort of sound, almost as if the house is trying to tell him something. You helped me, 
You saved me. The voice breaks over him, washes through him. Now David is sure it's the same house, Agnes's house. He doesn't think he's ever felt so joyful. After that initial discovery, the three of them together, or just David on his own, come back to watch progress and witness the villa's restoration and transformation. The repairs and replacements of the sanding and sealing, the patching, the painting. The ghost house is reborn. It gleams in its new livery. On a day when David and his parents walk along to check it out, the front door stands open. They can see the Rimu panelling in the hallway stripped back to its original state and recoated with a light lacquer that gives it a warm and gentle luster. I bet Agnes would like that more than if it had been painted over, David says without thinking. Agnes? asks his mum. Who's Agnes? his dad says at the same time. Oh, says David. His parents would never understand about, much less believe in, Agnes, the ghost Agnes. Just someone I once met, he says, keeping it vague, in the red zone somewhere. She had a house exactly like that. If only Agnes could see it the way it looks now, he thinks. She'd be ecstatic at how beautifully it's scrubbed up. She'd be over the moon about how everything's turned out. And that, after being through so much together, over so many years, she and the house she lived in have at last been able to set their memories free. As David will do. As David is doing. He is living a normal life again. Did you think Agnes was a ghost? I wasn't sure. Right up to the end. I liked the ending, though. It was a sad story, in a way, but with a happy finish. Next time, we're going to read a funny little story by Margaret Mahey called Strange Events in the Life of the Demonico Family. That's all for now. Happy reading. This program was made with assistance from New Zealand on air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.org.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand on air.